Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We'd like to start with a content warning. This episode contains sensitive subject matter, including descriptive imagery about violence and sexual assault. When women, and especially teenage girls, are depicted under the male gaze in art and media, their agency is minimized, and their creativity and passion nearly always go unnoticed. For International Women's Day, we're featuring a 2017 talk by Heather O'Neill, which she gave at the Walrus Talks Belonging. Welcome to the conversation piece. Hi, I'm Heather O'Neill. Um, that should automatically come with a trigger warning, so. I, that's my trigger warning. Um, I have this too. Um, Edgar Allan Poe wrote that the death of a beautiful woman is unquestionably the most poetical topic in the world. Dead women have always been popular in art. Take Sir John Everett Millay's esteemed painting of Ophelia. Spurned by Hamlet, she is depicted as a corpse floating on the top of the water, her delicate body adorned with wild flowers. Images of Ophelia are everywhere in fashion spreads in women's magazines. Their white stockings and dresses are bloated like stingrays. Their hair curls around their head in tangled fairy-like knots. Their dead eyes are closed sweetly as though they are eternally prepared for a kiss. The fake dead spread is hugely popular in fashion editorials. While I was working on my novel, The Lonely Hearts Hotel, I began to be acutely aware of the image of dead girls in art and fashion spreads everywhere I looked. Female passivity has always been highly prized in art and fashion as an ideal of beauty, but the models in some fashion magazine weren't only despairing, depressed girls like Shakespeare's perturbed lass. These girls in the images were in images that suggested gang rape, murder, and extreme physical abuse. Here are some examples from the past 10 years. Jimmy Choo's ad featuring a murdered woman lying in the trunk of a car. Dolce & Gabbana, gang rape. Water and oil for W Magazine with women who, dead women being washed on the shore. Pretty Wasted for Interview Magazine featuring passed out girls waiting to be assaulted. Vogue Italia, which ran an entire spread based on domestic abuse. And Mark Jacobs with Miley Cyrus lying next to a dead body. These portrayals are so common in fashion shoots that the contestants in an episode of America Top's, Top Model were all required to do a fashion shoot where they portrayed murdered women. And if you think that any type of woman can achieve a certain status that allows them to be spared from this type of portrayal, Vice magazine ran a fashion editorial featuring famous women writers who had committed suicide. Sen Mo, who's a, Thai, um, a poet from Taiwan, they actually, and she hanged herself 
with a stocking, Vice Magazine actually gave information where you could buy the stocking and the price. While I was writing The Lonely Hearts Hotel, I decided to confront this idea of the brutally murdered women as art. I presented a series of images of murdered girls as still life paintings, as though they were flowers that were plucked at the height of their bloom and arranged by men in a manner in which their beauty could be fully appreciated. There were girls with bullet holes in their heads. They were standing at the bottom of a river, their hair blowing magically and effortlessly around them as they opened their mouths in perfect O's of surprise. Which leads me to my repeated interest in writing from the perspective of an alien, alienated female body. I was drawn to this because I had existed in one for so long, but, not, but did not know what to make of it. When I hit puberty as a girl, the world began to scrutinize me in a perverse way. The neighbors looked out their windows and gave me dirty looks because I was walking the dog in jean shorts, or just sitting blowing bubblegum on a bench, or twirling a baton while taking, talking to the garbage man. Suddenly the world became obscene and I hadn't done anything. Everyone was just projecting these thoughts on me. I was surrounded by perverts as any girl was. Once I was sitting on a public bus at rush hour and the man next to me took my hand and put it on his penis. I was buying milk at the corner store and a man in a trench coat opened up his trench coat to reveal he had nothing on underneath. I looked up at the convex mirror at the end of the aisle. There was nothing that the mirror could do. In any case, the owner could rest assured he wasn't stealing anything. I was attacked twice in public, once on a bus at rush hour. I was walking my toy poodle once and a gold coupe de ville drove up next to me and the man inside inquired whether I would like to star in pornographic films. I answered the telephone and the man at the other end asked if I would like to sit on his face. Like telemarketers, they always called at dinner time. I was a blank screen with the pornographic male gaze being projected onto it. Because I also lived in an abusive, dysfunctional home, I ran away in order to have whatever possession I could over my body, knowing I was stepping into the dangerous world of the street. I had no interest in boys, not really. I wasn't mad about them the way I was about other girls. I looked for fascinating girls on the street, the ones who had the strangest thoughts. There was a girl with bangs to her nose who was always reading Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra. There was a girl who made miniature furniture out of bits of clay and kept them in a tin lunch pail. There was a skinny girl who had a voice like Grace Slick. There was a girl who had a scrapbook filled with images she cut out of magazines. One girl played a toy accordion she wore on her back like a school bag. There was a girl whose fingertips were always covered in black ink from drawing in her notebook. She drew tattoos all over my arm with a ballpoint pen. I was like Sleeping Beauty protected by a huge rose bush. I met a girl wearing a rainbow striped dress that went down to the ground. She had a pink beret over her thick black hair. I adored her look. Girls dress for each other, not for boys. She was so mad, it was lovely. She spoke about the moon and sadness so eloquently, I would be almost jealous. Once she stole me a can of cranberries from the supermarket. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with it. Once she was committed in the psychiatric wing of a hospital and I could never see her, I would write her letters and leave them at the desk. There's a sort of insanity to being a teenage girl. I fell madly in love with everything. Everything made me excited. 
drinking coffee out of a cracked cup with a yellow rose on it, the covers of paperbacks and, and bookstore windows, the gold songbirds on the wallpaper in a motel room, the stack of television monitors in the store window, each playing a different show, a trumpet player in the subway. You see the world in such a strange and intense creative way in that brief time when you truly belong, you don't belong, when you truly believe you don't belong to anyone. You aren't really a daughter, you aren't anyone's partner, you aren't related to anyone at all. People have accused me of writing weak characters or disempowered females. That's because everything about young women is an attribute for being weak, shallow, and vulnerable. If an intelligent and serious person is judged, is judged by their similarities to a middle-aged white male, then yes, I fail, and my characters fail at that. But girls contain multitudes. We are made up of so many parts. The reason that the monster in Frankenstein is so memorable is that after being, he is fashioned out of cheap castaway body parts in a spectacular feat of biomechanical engineering. When it opens its mouth, out comes Mary's, Shelley's voice, that of an alienated teenage girl brought back from the dead. Thank you. Heather O'Neill is a novelist, storyteller, screenwriter, and essayist. She spoke at Western University Presents the Walrus Talks Belonging in 2017, and is among over 800 brilliant Canadians who have been featured on the Walrus Talks stage. Subscribe to the conversation piece on your favorite podcast platform. And to register for upcoming events online or in a city near you, and to catch up on our archive of the Walrus Talks, visit thewalrus.ca slash events. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.